So now I'm going to welcome Van to come on up and preach a message. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Derry. Isn't Derry awesome? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, awesome to see you all here today. Wow. Great to be together. Um, God has good things for us. He's going to speak to us. He's going to touch our lives. Some of us are going to get healed. Uh, Many, many of us are going to see God in a totally new way. And we're going to see ourselves in a new way because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, He reveals more of the Father to us and he reveals more of us to us so that we know how we relate to the Father. And uh, that's what we're looking for. Uh, Hey, if you've spoken to me in the last couple days or if we talk later um, after the service, you might notice that my eyes are a little bit red. And I just want you to know that that's not because Lori's been mean to me and I've been crying or anything like that. It's not because I've been drinking too much. But I'm just having a little bit of a problem with dry eyes. So um, uh, uh, if, if any of you have like solutions Please don't try to tell them to me after the service. You can email those to me. We just won't have time to do that then. But that whole thing with my eyes kind of reminded me of this uh, story, this joke I wanted to start with. And this really will test how intelligent a crowd we have here. Um, Okay, okay, listen. All right, just pay attention. There's this farmer, and he bought a horse. And he took the horse home with him. And uh, when he got the horse home, he realized it was blind. And so he took the horse back to the guy he had bought it from. And he says, hey, what's, what's up with this, man? You sold me a blind horse. You didn't tell me it was blind. And the uh, guy that had sold him the horse said, well, I sure did. He said, I told you he was old. I thought he had a few good years left in him and that he didn't look too good. <laughs> all right, all right. Another one? Oh, no, some people are saying no, please no. Okay, a Canadian psychologist is actually selling, uh, a Canadian psychologist is actually selling videos that will enable you to test the intelligence, the IQ of your dog. And here's the test. If you're willing to pay the $29.95 for the video, your dog's smarter than you. All right, well, quit quit with that one, or do you want one more? This is short. This is short. Okay, one more, one more. All right, this involves a talking sheepdog. Okay, the sheepdog talks, and it knows how to count, too. So it went out, and it rounded all the sheep up and brought them back to the pen, and it reported into the shepherd and said, 40 sheep. So the shepherd counts the sheep, and he counts 38. And he says to the dog, hey, you told me there were 40 sheep in there and I only count 38. And the dog says, "Uh, that's right, 38, but you told me to round them up. (laughs) Yep, so, okay. All right. You're a pretty smart group, all right? Pretty smart group. That's all we've got today right there. We've been talking about breakthrough, and we've been talking about how to have breakthrough in your life, and the very concept of breakthrough, the very word pictures something kind of like dramatic almost and sudden, and breakthrough in our lives where we take, where we advance spiritually 
you know, where we take a step ahead in some area or we gain freedom in some area, that oftentimes does happen suddenly. It, it, it can happen. And God works suddenly in the Bible. If you look through, just read through the whole Bible, you'll just see over and over again, situation looks hopeless and then bang, God works and things change. And, and there are all these sudden events where God interjects himself into a situation. And when we're talking about breakthrough, that's a big part of it. But one of the things that um, I want to talk with you about today is another aspect of breakthrough. And that is breakthrough that happens when we make decisions that seem to us to be fairly small. They might not seem to be real significant, but it's a decision that I make to change my behavior based upon truth. I've been behaving one way. I've been thinking one way. I begin to think a different way. I understand biblical truth. And so I'm in the situation, and rather than behaving my old way, I remember that biblical truth, and I think, ah, I'm going to flow with this. And I change. I make just a simple decision to change. And when we do that, that is oftentimes the beginning of major breakthrough in our lives. Just a simple decision. Now, uh, just an illustration of that, okay? Someone, uh, l- l- let's, say, let's say you're the type of person that likes to have the last word in a discussion. You want to be the last one to speak. Or let's say that when someone presents an issue or a problem, you're the type of person that you have an answer and you want to give it because they desperately need to hear your wisdom, And they're not going to survive if they don't get to hear, well, your story about this or what happened to your aunt or what happened to your neighbor related to the same thing. And you just feel this compulsion. You just can't hold yourself back. You have to share it. And then let's say you encounter the truth that God is already working in that other person's life and that he can continue his work in their life whether they hear what you think or not. Whether they have your answer, which is, I'm sure, a wonderful answer, whether they hear that or not, God can continue to work in their life. And he might even do better working in their life if you don't speak. And you really begin to realize that. So then you're in a situation where someone brings up an issue or a problem or something that reminds you of a great story that you have that would relate to the whole thing. And the conversation has, all, you've already lost your opportunity to tell it. Have you ever done this where this, the conversation has moved on, all right? Someone else jumped in before you got to, and the conversation is two or three steps away from that, and you're still feeling this compulsion to tell what you want to tell. So you have to like, like almost do a timeout. I want to reset the context of this whole conversation. I want to go back three thoughts ago to that because I didn't get to say what I wanted to say then. And it is so important that you all have got to hear this. Anybody ever done that? Okay, I mean, I, I kind of live there sometimes. Yeah. So... Um, but, but you learn, you're really encountering this truth and you're becoming, you're, it's really becoming part of your heart to recognize the Holy Spirit is working in, in this group's life without all of my input, without every thought I think I need to share. 
And so you come to that point, and rather than trying to reset the context of the conversation, or rather than trying to force your thought in, you just sit back and you're content. And you just feel okay about not speaking. That's a decision that you have to make, but it's a decision you can only make if you have the right truth, the right foundation of truth in your thinking and in your heart. And so today, what I want to talk to you about is a a biblical principle that I believe is foundational, if not the most foundational principle to experiencing breakthrough in our lives. And that's the biblical principle of humility. Humility. The notion that, or or the, the understanding of who I am, who God's made me to be, and real comfort with that. So that I can respond to other people, not out of anxiety, but out of peace. So that I can encounter situations, not because I think that I need to respond a certain way, but I can respond to situations the way Jesus did. And when that happens, uh, there is breakthrough that occurs in our lives. In fact, James 4, 6 says this. He, God, James 4, 6, he gives, gives us even more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Pretty simple statement, isn't it? And simple thoughts. Uh, this whole idea of grace, just to understand it, a definition, a, a good working definition is God meeting us at our point of need and giving us everything we need to be what he made us to be. God giving us everything we need to be what he created us to be. So really, grace describes what God's done for us. Now, the whole idea of grace, it's something we encounter first in a living way when we receive Jesus. When I open my heart to Jesus and I acknowledge Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I have sinned. I have disobeyed God. I've got, done life my own way. And I need, I need to be forgiven for all that. And I, and I need you and I want you in my life. When I do that, Jesus, just the grace of God, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be forgiven. But because Jesus died for me on the cross, I can be forgiven. And because God loves me, he sent his son to die for me to make it possible. So God's grace he, he moves, he changes, he forgives me and, and cleanses me of all of the wrong I've ever done. But more than that, he changes me. He changes me at the core, at the very core of who I am. My heart is changed so that I would, it's no longer proper to say I am just a sinner. It's no, I'm not. I, I'm righteous in Christ. Christ has become to me righteousness. And we become the righteousness of God through him. And so I have been changed by the grace of God. And now this grace, which is God meeting every need we have and enabling us the flow of his life to completely change us, is is flowing freely towards us. When when it says here um, that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, I don't want you to have the picture in your mind that God's in heaven and he has a package of grace. And if I do something humble, you know, I, I'll, I'll take the cart back for you. Then he says, oh, okay, that's, that's about you know, half, half a quart of grace, so give that to Van. 
that, that, that's not how it works. All grace is released through Jesus. In fact, the Bible says he's given us every spiritual blessing through Jesus. He's already done it. And so once I receive Jesus, and, and this is actually available even before I receive Jesus, it's just that receiving Jesus is the first step in this process. I've received Jesus, I'm changed, I'm new, I'm free, and there is just this waterfall of grace flowing my direction, just outpouring of grace coming down my direction. But the thing that keeps me from experiencing that grace is pride. Because pride means I can do it my way. I'm gonna do it my way. I know best, I know better. I, you know, I, I, I don't need other people, I don't need God. I can do it myself. And while none of us would necessarily state those truths, it's very easy to live like that. It's very easy to live that way. And so he says here, God resists the proud. Well, when it says he resists the proud, it doesn't mean, okay, well, I think the, the verse I quoted, the translation actually says God's opposed to the proud. I didn't like that translation because... In my mind, anyway, opposition means, you know, you know, God's got his fist clenched and he's going to crush you. He's opposed to you, man. You're going to get it. And, and that's not what this means. It resists is different. He resists the proud. What that means is he keeps putting opportunities in our lives for us to make choices to be humble. And those opportunities sometimes are humbling. But he keeps placing those before us. Here, choose, choose humility. Choose humility. Choose hum- and when I choose humility, then what, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm cracking through the pride. And you know what water does with a crack? Anybody here ever have a crack in your basement and water's leaking through? Man, what you have to do, you have to stop that right away because that water is gonna destroy the wall eventually. Because once water starts cracking through, and, and this whole picture throughout the Bible of Jesus being the water of life and, and God's word and life being water to us. You know, once I make a decision to be humble, to do, to do the humble thing, then grace starts trickling through and it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And so I keep making decisions as God puts the opportunity before me to take the humble step whatever that might be, whether it is holding back and not talking or whether it might be in some cases speaking up and talking. In, in other cases, it might mean grabbing the grocery cart and taking it back or it might mean helping someone else put their groceries in their car or giving someone else the very best spot, parking spot when, when you get there. It can mean all sorts of things. Um, simple things like... Any of you here have a spouse that gets up before you in the morning and make coffee? Anybody? I do, okay? And I'm thankful for that. Uh, Lori will often bring me a cup of coffee. And um, isn't that sweet? Yeah, she's been doing that for a long time. Yeah, thank you. So, a week ago or so, she, she got up, she made coffee, I got up, I tasted the coffee, and I knew what had happened. She had gone back to reading her Bible and forgot to take the coffee off the coffee maker, and the coffee burnt. Now, any really coffee drinkers, you love burnt coffee? No. So when Lori wasn't looking, I made a new pot. 
And I thought, she won't notice, but then she noticed. And well, why'd you have to make more? Well, because it was burnt and you forgot and you were reading the Bible and you forgot to make the coffee. And so that happened again. And I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to drink this coffee and I'm going to love it. Because the last time what I did wasn't right. I knew that. I knew that as soon as I did. And, and, and I feel like God was saying to me, choose the humble path. This is good coffee. You'll be happy with it. Don't be a perfectionist. I mean, how, how can I complain? I've got a wife that makes me coffee in the morning, and she's up in the morning reading the Bible and praying to Jesus and worshiping. And so that, that's, but there are so many choices like that that we have where we, you know, God calls us to choose the path of humility. And when it says he gives us even more grace in that verse, the word more there, other translations, it's translated abundant. It means wide open spaces. And so wide open spaces. I mean, the grace God gives is just like a big wide open field. You know, you've been slogging through the, through the woods and the, and the branches and it's hard to get past. And you come into this, this wide open space and that's God's grace in our lives. He, he makes it abundant for us. But the simple, simple choices of humility are um, what open that up for us. Now, I'm going to say this, give you this definition. Humility is a settled confidence in who we are in Christ. It's so settled and assured that we don't need to prove it to anyone. All right, is that up there? You see that? All right, humility is a settled confidence in who we are in Christ. So settled and assured that we don't need to prove it to anyone. That's, that's, that is the thing that enables us to respond to others out of peace. Because if, if I'm unsettled in my relationship with Christ, if I feel, if I just go around thinking, oh, I'm just a lousy sinner, all I ever do is mess up, and, and I'm just constantly pronouncing these things over myself, then when something happens that kind of touches my heart, that's what's going to touch it's going to touch all that pain and pain's going to come out. But the more settled I am in this truth that I'm a child of God, I'm a son of the king, I'm a daughter of the king, I'm a new creation, I have his righteousness. He loves me immensely. He couldn't love me more than he does. And there's nothing I can do to make him stop loving me. When I rest in that settledness, then I have the ability to take the lower position. To, take the, to make the humble step, to choose the, the humble option that God puts before me. But because humility is uh, such a powerful thing, God constantly gives us opportunities to um, make choices of humility. Another definition for humility, that's kind of a working definition, is that humility is recognizing that God's smarter than I am, okay? Pretty simple, isn't it? Not just recognizing it, but making decisions based upon it, and actually allowing that to be a life operating principle, that he knows more about life than I do, than my parents did. 
than the culture I grew up in did. He knows more, he know, the, the, that the best life I can have is obeying his word, even when it doesn't make sense to me at the moment. Like Peter, he's in the middle of a storm on a lake, and the only safety anywhere is a boat. He's in it. And he makes the decision to step out of that boat because Jesus tells him to. Doesn't make sense. But because of that, he got to walk on water. And so it really is us recognizing God is smarter than us, that he knows more than we know, and that if we're going to live lives that are effective, we're going to submit our thinking and our lives to his ways, not to our ways. So look for the moments. That's the key thing. Look for the moments. Look for the moments that God gives you to make the humble decision and to walk into it. When we were in Zimbabwe, um, Wilson and Luke and Sanjay and I, one of the days we were out praying for people in the street, and um, I, I approached this young lady who had a little stand where she was selling bottles of water, and she asked her if there's anything I could pray for. And I, I've told this story, you might have heard it, but I'm going to give you a little, little different angle on it right now. Um, she said, yeah, she had a migraine headache, lasted for two or three days. And God just gave me faith to do this. I said, well, when I put my hand on your head, it's going to leave. You're going to feel something come over you and it's going to leave. And I put my hand on her head and I just said a very simple prayer commanding the uh, headache to go. When I took my hand off her head, there was no need for me to ask her how she was doing because I could see by the look on her face. I mean, she's astounded. Her eyes are big. She's smiling, uh, just grinning ear to ear. And she ran across the street to a friend and told her friend what had just happened. And then she ran back across the street and said, I have to go get my son. You have to pray for my son. And so she brings this little boy around the corner of the house, probably seven or eight years old. And this little guy was sick. I mean, he was really, really sick. And I mean, he's he has a stomach ache, he has a headache, he's coughing, he's sweating, he has snot all over his face, tears, and he's crying. I looked at him and I thought, man, this, whatever this kid has, I don't want, Lord. <laughs> and I mean, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? I thought, well, Jesus, you will put your hand on him and pray for him. And, and so I did. And I put my hand on his head and I prayed for him. And after I prayed, um, he, he quit crying and he said something to his mother in their native language. And she said, he just said that, that his stomach feels better and his headache's gone. And then the mother said, and his fever's going down. I, I couldn't tell that. I touched him then, I touched him later. I couldn't tell that his fever had gone. But God had obviously touched this little kid. And um, then I'm standing there looking at him and still the snot's on his face and the tears. And I'm thinking, Jesus, what would you do right now? What would you do with this child? I thought Jesus would hug him. I mean, that's just, that's what, I'm not thinking this, that's just what flashed into my mind. And then I thought, I wonder if, if he's healed, if that means all the germs in his snot are instantly killed. (laughs) So, I mean, you think of things like that. I do anyway. And so I'm thinking, man, alive, just give me a little pat on the shoulder hug. And then I thought, no, no, Jesus would give him a full hug. 
And so I just took him and I, and I, and he just buried, he's about this tall. He just buried his face. He just really, he just buried his face into my, my lower chest and right, right in this spot. And I held on to him for about a minute. I mean, it was a long, long hug. And when I let go of him and pulled him away, uh, his face was clean. Okay. <laughs> Snot's gone, tears gone. And I mean, it was surprising to me that I thought, how did his face get so clean? And, and I'm thinking, okay, this shirt is shot. But my shirt wasn't, wasn't bad either. There wasn't like snot all over. I don't know what happened there. That might have been the biggest miracle that happened. <laughs> but I know this. I know Jesus' ways are better than our ways. His ways are better than our ways. He knows more than we do about life. He's smarter than us. I mean, even to say that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But he know, his ways are better. And when we are presented with the option of doing the humble thing, sometimes it feels really inconvenient. Sometimes it might even seem like unjust. I am justified right now. I don't have to do this. You know, I've been working all night or I've already, done, I've already prayed for six people and now, now I'm being asked to do this thing to take care of. And sometimes it's just so easy to be self-justified in it and, and to make a decision or to try to avoid doing the, the, the thing that is, is really the humble choice. Um, some of you were here. I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and then we're going to end. But um, some of you might have been here when we started this series in January, and, and I shared a story about my dad, and um, how I had come to a point in this church I was pastoring in Michigan that I was ready to quit, had gone to a career counselor to see what else I could do with life, in life, and um, a letter that my dad had written to me impacted me at this key moment because he, um, he shared with me in the letter that he was well aware that his mother wanted him to be a pastor, and that's what God had wanted him to do, but he had turned away from that, and uh, he came to know the Lord in his 50s, and, um, uh, but that, um, that you know, he, he was regretting that he had not done what God had called him to do. And by the way, God calls us all into the positions we're in, all right? It's not like you have to be called to be a pastor, but you can just be an accountant. You can just be a school teacher or a police officer or a truck driver or a business person. It's not, you know, if you're there, God called you. And you don't leave that until God calls you to something else. Okay, so just be be aware of that. But, But his call was... To, to be a pastor, he hadn't fulfilled it. And, you know, as I'm standing there, this impacts me so profoundly. I remembered that because I was thinking of quitting. And I just remembered, at the end of my life, I don't want to write that letter. I don't want to write a letter saying, I, I wish I had done this. And so that gave me the strength to keep on going. And uh, it was shortly after that, at that church, that I began to encounter uh, this new thinking about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit's alive today, that he is healing people, that you can experience his presence and you can have a dynamic 
felt experiential relationship with God that, that goes beyond simply scripture memorization and scripture study, which was all I believed in to that point. And so as I went through that whole process, I finally came to the point, uh, actually in December of 1993, that I officially changed my theology. That day I acknowledged it. And um, I went to the elders of the church uh, shortly after that. And see, this church was not a church that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I told the elders, I've changed in my theology. I don't know exactly what this means or where it's going to lead, but I now believe the gifts of the Spirit. You know, there's no biblical basis to say the gifts of the Spirit are dead. And I, I want to know, do you want to hear what God's doing in my life? Because we had come to this church under one set of beliefs, and I had changed, and so I didn't feel like it was uh, ethical for me then to try to force this on either the elders or the church. And the elders, all good men, godly men, and this was a great church to fill with wonderful people, but they uh, decided they didn't want to hear uh, anything about why I had shifted in my theology. And um, as a result of that, came to the point that I resigned the church. And by the time I had resigned, uh, I mean, Lori and I acted very ethically throughout the whole thing. But you know how things like that go and people are talking and there are people that were upset with us in different, uh, different avenues of the church's life. But um, came to a day that I told the elders, okay, I'm gonna read my resignation to the church board. It was a large board, 25 people. And uh, have them all in a room, and I'm reading my resignation to them. And um, in the midst of this, a young guy knocks on the door, a young man from the church. Now, I knew this young man, and he stuck his head in, and he said, they called me pastor there. Pastor, can I talk to you? I always wanted them to call me by my first name, but some of them couldn't bring themselves to do that. And he said, pastor, can I talk to you? And uh, so I went out, right, halfway through my resignation letter, and he had told me that um, one of the elderly members of the church had just passed away. Now, this was a wonderful woman, godly woman, godly man. They had been married for at least 50 years. They might have been married 60 years at that time. But um, so I took that news, and I went back in. I told them all. And several of them, uh, she was their aunt or uh, you know, rel- close relative. But um, I finished reading the letter and decided to go to see them. And when I got there, they were bringing her out. And I talked to the funeral director and um, went in the house. And he told me that uh, she had um, passed away in the bathroom. It was a small bathroom that it was, um, she was having convulsions and she had been sick for a while and that um, there was a lot of mess. So, we have this elderly man who's just lost his wife and the bathroom is a horrible mess. And for me, I mean, I'm thinking we can't leave here and let, let this, leave this like this. And then much to my relief, um, 
the head trustee of the church showed up. And he was actually uh, part of the extended family and a wonderful guy himself. And I say to my relief because he was a trustee. That's their job, you know, (laughs) is to take care of buildings and stuff like that. And so I said, hey, man, I said, we cannot leave here. We can't leave him with that mess. Um, uh, Here's a bucket and a mop. Why don't you go clean that up? And, I mean, I'm thinking I'm relieved at this point because I don't have to do it, all right? And, um, and so he, he, okay, okay. So he goes in, and I, I go to talk to the husband, and like a minute later he comes out, and he's white. I mean, white as a sheet, and he looks like he's, you know, ready, you know on his last leg. <laughs> and, he, he, and he says, Pastor, I can't do it. He said, I can't do it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to vomit. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to get sick. And, um, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, if, if I had thought of this, I probably would have done it. But I, you know, he could have called some of the other guys. There are other people we could have called. I just didn't think of that or I would have said that because this was not something I wanted to do. But when it came down to it, he's leaving. And, well, no, he didn't leave but he can't go back in and we can't leave this man with this mess. And so I took off my coat and went in and cleaned. The bathroom. In spite of having done everything I could to get out of it. And And I would have done more if I had been more on, my, on the ball thinking. But um, as I'm in there, I'm realizing this is something special. And I'm realizing that the Lord had put me in a place where I got to do something that was kind of like holy. And so I finished up and, um, and I went home and after you know, spending some more time with this gentleman and uh, later that day saw some other people from the church and everybody didn't find out about this. I've never told this story before. Um, but um, one of the guys said, you know, you had just resigned. If I were you, I wouldn't even gone to see them. And, and I just thought, you know, that wasn't part of my job description as a pastor. Oh, thank you. Um, it wasn't really part of my job description as a pastor to, to, to do, I mean, to go see him maybe, but you know what? It was part of my job description as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus. And, and I only share this with you because I felt like the Lord wanted me to. As I said, I've never told this before, but um, I think it's all of our job descriptions. Following Jesus, we're con- we need to be open constantly. What is the decision 
of humility. I know humility is an attitude. I know it's a position of the heart and all of that. But the decisions we make reinforce that and release God's grace into our hearts. And so what happens when we make decisions of humility, God uses that to prepare us for something else. He uses that to release more anointing on our lives. Uh, and whatever it is, whether it, whatever it might be, he releases more anointing on our lives. He gives us deeper revelation into who he is. I mean, I saw more of who Jesus was. Didn't expect it. And again, I'm not, it's not to my credit. I was put in a corner where it was really, I felt at the time like it was the only decision I could make. But it, it releases more of his presence and of his anointing and, and it prepares us for more authority and to, to walk more fully in all that Jesus has for us. And that's why it leads to breakthrough. And so um, I just want to leave you with that today, that uh, Jesus came to the earth. He became a man. And that, that was a humbling thing in and of itself. He was God, second person of the Trinity. He didn't have to do that. He made that choice. And becoming a human being, he died and he submitted to a death that was the death of a criminal, the most uh, horrible uh, death you could experience. And he did that for us. And then it says that God highly exalted him, placed him at the right hand of the Father, so that in him, you know, every, everything is, is under him. All of his enemies are under his feet. Okay, death, sickness, hatred, violence, prejudice, poverty, all enemies are under his feet and you and I are seated there in him. And so we are in him and he is in us. And so we can make those choices. We, we can make those decisions to, to, to say yes and, and to follow him and because that's the job description all of us have, Okay. So um, I'm going to introduce Derry. She's going to come up and lead us into the next part of our service. And then we're going to spend time worshiping and uh, just focusing on Jesus and honoring him.